Good morning, everybody. Let's stand. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. That was kind of weak. Let's do that again. Let's give the Lord praise this morning. God deserves our best. He deserves more than we're capable of giving. And he give it all. And so, you know, we, we can't really top that. We can match that, but we can't top it. So we're here today to learn the word, dig into the word. It's a blessing to have the opportunity to be here. You know, there is places on this globe that they don't have this freedom. And I thank God for the freedom that we have, that we do live in a country where we do have the freedom to praise God without having to worry about somebody killing us just because we walked into the church today. Mm -hmm. So I thank God for that freedom. Yeah. And so we're here today. We're going to learn the word. We're going to see what God has for us and see where this word takes us. And this, it's an adventure every time you open this word, if you open it with an open heart and an open mind and you're willing to receive something new out of it. If you open it with a cold, cold, dark, black heart, you ain't going to get nothing out of it. And you're wasting your time. And so we've got to have an open heart and open mind and a willingness to receive something new out of this word. And everybody here, I believe, has that, or you probably wouldn't be here this morning. So let's pray. Brother Jimmy, would you pray over this lesson? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask you this morning, Lord, just to come in, Lord, dear God, and put your hand up on us, Lord, dear God, today, Lord, dear God, and bless us, Lord, dear God, if we bless you today, Lord, and lift you up, Lord, we just ask you, Lord, dear God, to bless everything that's done in your house today, every word that's spoke, Lord, dear God, every song that's sung, and everything that's done, Lord, dear God, it would please you. Lord, we ask you, Lord, dear God, today, today Lord, dear God, to bless those, Lord, dear God, that needs a touch from you, a healing touch, Lord, today, we ask you to touch them, God. Lord, encourage, lift them up, and strengthen them, Lord, dear God, we ask your healing power, Lord, dear God, in the name of Jesus, Lord. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless each Sunday school class today, Lord, Meet every need, Lord, spiritual, physical, financial, Lord, to God in this church, Lord. And we just give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Mark Harbor. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We're on page 31 in our study guides. Diving right in, October 18th. Almost November. Almost Thanksgiving. Hey, yeah. that. Yeah. What? Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> time goes. Time goes. Page 31. Returning from exile. Central truth for today's lesson is that Christians can trust God to keep his covenant promises. Rhetorical question. Can you, can you trust him? I mean, and, and, and I'm, I'm speaking in the, you know, the, the sense of just an overall trust. Not, I mean, not adding particulars and we, we say promises and I stand on his promises all the time as, as I know that you do too. Um, but I think it, you know, when you take that and kind of move that aside, move the promises aspect and maybe even other things that, that we look to him for, move those things to the side and then just ask yourself, just do you trust him as an individual? As, as, as somebody that you talk to every morning and when you go to him and you fellowship with him, do you trust him? Um, when you trust somebody, there are certain things, there's, um, it's, it's, a, you, it's seen a lot in the conversation. When you trust somebody, you'll tell them things that you don't tell other people. Amen. It always shows up. 
shows up in the conversation. Look at your prayer life. Look, look, at the, look at what you say to him in your prayer time. That will tell you a lot about your trust with him, where you stand with him, your relationship with him. Comes out in the conversation, comes out in the, in the speech. Um, I, I can't name a lot of people that I just trust with my garbage. You are probably in the same boat as I am. There's not very many people you put in that area or that place where you say, you know, when we get alone, you look for the opportunity to say, let me tell you what I've been going through. There's only one or two people probably in your life that you can even do that with, that you can actually tell them what really you're dealing with. You think about God and our relationship that we have with him, and uh, there's, there's a lot said when you go to him in prayer and the way that you pray to him. And, and does your prayer, is your prayer rhetorical? You know, is it, is it kind of the, uh, the now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer? I'm not knocking that, but just listen to me for a second. Is it the now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer, which is a very surface kind of prayer, and you kind of run through the, you run through the, the, the jargon to ultimately reach the end so you can ultimately finish because you ultimately wanted to go to bed anyway? You see what I'm saying? Then there's, there's the conversation that's different. You know, it's where you, you intended on having a five-minute conversation, you end up having a 30-minute conversation. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And it always happens with the people that you trust. That conversation ends up going a little bit longer than you expected. Um, you know, I'm, Sean and I have met with, uh, for coffee before. It was only supposed to be about 30, 45 minutes. We ended up talking about an hour and a half. And so there's, there's something about the way that we pray in the way that we we talk to him that shows what's going on inside of us. What really shows about what we believe, who he is, and can he be trusted? I mean, there's, you know, when you're when you're in front of him, it's raw. I mean, it's complete. There's no rules. You know, everything is off. And I've been encouraged often by him himself. I've come to him in prayer and I'm and I'm like, okay, it's it's prayer time. It's time to pray. I get down there and I'm like, Dear Lord, and he's like, stop. <laughs> and I was like, but dear Lord, no, uh-uh. Talk to me. Talk to me. What do you got going? And I'm serious. I'm, I'm just being honest. This is exactly what he said. He said, just talk to me. No, no formalities. Throw all that stuff away. Tell me what's going on with Tanner. And I stopped, and I felt that, that repositioning in my heart. And I said, well... This is what I've been dealing with. Here come the tears. And it's like he's just right there. It's like, ah, there we go. That's the version of you that I was looking for. The real version. And maybe maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's not tears. Maybe it's anger. You ever brought anger to him before? No, I bring that to him because I trust him with it. I mean, I here it is. And I'm I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed that I'm even bringing it to you. But here it is. It's that, that's okay. That's good. Thanks for bringing it. And... I've even said it before, and I'm, ju- I'm giving you just a small insight into my conversation with him. I said, I know you can hear me because I can feel it. I can feel you listening to me right now. And there's an intimacy about that that is unmistakable. And it's directly connected with trust. It's directly connected with trust. Christians can trust God to keep his covenant promises. You can trust God with promises. You can trust God with everything, Amen. every aspect of your life. And if you haven't, I hope that you find that at some point because that is what this relationship is based on between us and him is is the trust factor and what we trust him for let's get started 
uh, while God had judged the people of Judah for their disobedience and idolatry and had sent them into exile in Babylon, he did not forget his promise to them nor his plan to provide redemption for the world through the lineage of David. Okay, so we know how they got there too, though. And, and I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to cover what Sean covered with you last week, um, but I, I do know the story. And so we know that just due to simple disobedience, that got them off track with God. And I'm going to make a really important point here this morning about getting off track with God and then what are the ramifications of that. All right, first of all, disobedience, which is what we're talking about, you know, there's, there's the life that God has planned, which is away from sin, and then there's the disobedience, which is a life of sin, which is, you know, it's rebellion against God. And so you've got these two different lives that, that, that can be lived. And, you know, the, the point is, is that even though at times we get off track, and I think everyone in here, if I would say, hey, who, who, who gets off track sometimes? Amen. amen. We say, amen, we get off track. Because that's, that happens. That's who we are. We are human. And so we're kind of prone to get off track sometimes. Well, the thing to realize, though, is, is that the, the plan, the plan, that God has a plan for your life, and, and that is always moving forward. Are there ramifications to, and consequences to the decisions that we make? Yeah, absolutely. And in their case, it led to an exile but it did not divert the plan. Now that's important to remember because that kind of that kind of throws away the idea that I've blown it so bad that I can't get back what I had before. That's actually not true. Did you suffer consequences from your bad decisions? Sure. Did it take you away for a time and a period away from the plan that God had for you? Yeah, absolutely. But it does not mean that the plan has died. Amen. You just stalled it because you were messing around. And I think that's important. Now, will it take, will it take a different look? Will it take a different shape as, as your years go on? Yeah, of course, it takes a different shape. But God is so true to his word that, and this is powerful stuff, God is so true to his word that it doesn't really matter what you do. You can't beat the plan of God. Amen. You can't beat it. It's like it, do, it doesn't matter. Yeah, okay, you, you messed up. Yeah, you, you blowed it pretty good. Uh, you, you, made, uh, you ended up in, in jail, or you ended up in prison, or you ended up uh, doing something to yourself physically, or, and you, you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself. It still does not negate God's ability to execute his plan into your life. That is... That is the greatness of God. I mean, think about it. What if, if God's plan was solely reliant on you? I mean, it would, there, there would be a lot of plan that just would never come to pass. Because we're too imperfect. We're absolutely flawed to the max. So God takes this perfect plan and he puts it on us. And, and to think that somehow it was just completely reliant on whether you passed or failed. Well, I think that we all know we more often than not fail. We're, we're incomplete. We do, we, there's nothing in us that can actually satisfy the plan of God. It's God through us. God through us, nothing in us, but God through us, that executes the plan. And so, is God's plan for you, or let me, let me, let me, ask, let me ask that differently. Does God still have a plan for you? The answer is yes. And I think that that should raise some curiosity within you. That should raise an excitement level as to know exactly what that is. There's, still, there's a lot of Christians that are so defeated today because of past instances in their life 
that they think that their time time is gone. My time is gone. I've missed it. No, you didn't. You didn't miss it. You're still breathing. God's still got a plan. So, uh, and, and two, when we talk about God's plan, erase the idea of this kind of, oh, I don't really know how to put it. It's almost at times like we have this idea of, of his plan being this thing that comes out of the sky with lights flashing and, you know, and it descends from heaven and then he puts it in your lap and it's like, ah, and the angels are singing and everything. And then you get this plan like it's some sort of massive gift. I'd say 99% of the time it doesn't go down like that. It, and more often than not, that you are actually living in God's plan and you don't even know it. Amen. More often than not, that's the way it goes. So well, there's no really no time to be thinking that there is no plan when it's right in front of your face. So, so we really, I think Christians have to realign at times to get that back into uh, to focus again. Okay, uh, today's lesson centers around the events that took place after the exile as the people were rebuilding the temple and walls of J uh, Jerusalem under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. A opposition came regularly, but God gave his people strong, wise leaders who sought God as they did what God had called them to do. So... <clears throat> Talk about opposition here. Opposition, it says that opposition, they come regularly, and we'll read into that as we go here. Uh, opposition to come regularly, but God gave his people strong, wise leaders who sought God. Strong, wise leaders who sought God. And, and the thing about leadership is this, and I'm going to tell you something about leadership that you're probably not going to agree with me. A lot of people disagree with this. I actually told somebody this one time, and it was it was a really interesting conversation. I said, everybody has to have a leader and at the core of every individual they want leadership you want it they're like well pride of course is going to be the first thing that rises up and says ha, ha, ha. i don't need any leadership i don't need anybody to lead me which is obviously the first reason we fall is because of pride you know we, we think that we don't need anything but that it's true it's it's true at the very core of who we are we want and desire leadership. We want somebody that is thinking straight, that's got it together, that knows and understands the battle plan, and to give us that battle plan. What do we do? How do we do it? How do we get there from here? And you may not look at certain people as leaders in your life, but you know what's interesting about leadership is that God always puts the proper people in your life and the people you need. You may not be listening to them. Amen. In and quite often, you might even be embattled against them. Because the enemy come in and he sets some things up and he done some things and we kind of fell for him. And so what happens is, is that the, the God surrounds his people with voices that need to be listened to. Now that's a question that we really have to dig into is ask yourself, are we listening to the people that God has put in my life? Am I listening to the leaders and the, and the, the people? Because that's usually when we shut it off is the moment you told me that somebody was above me and leading me, I cut it. And I'm talking about the flesh, and every one of you know it. You know it. It's a natural tendency. The, the moment that somebody says that somebody has, has been you know, uh, initiated to lead, they become public enemy number one. That's just the way we are. We're rebellious people. That's the way our nature is. And so we automatically have to fight through certain emotions and certain feelings about people that are in leadership positions because we're already convinced they don't like us we don't like them and you know what we'll go and listen to you and what you're saying but we're not going to like doing it you with me 
that's how we are. It's, it's our nature. It's kind of our nature. It's just the way that we are. So, uh, but as Christians, though, we're on this, you know, we're on this journey. I mean, this, this thing is, is long, and we're going through it day by day. Why wouldn't God, if he did it in the Old Covenant, he did it in the New, New Testament, he set up a church, Jesus at the head, he left us all the writings and teachings, uh, he gave us pastors, he put all these things in place for leadership and, and a system that is governed by leadership. Um, talked about it in here before. It, it did, you don't have to get real spiritual to see the significance of the things that God set up in the church for your benefit. I mean, you don't even really, if you want to, you don't even have to get spiritual at all. I mean, you just you want to take the spiritual side stuff and set it to the side, and then just look at the fact that He set up a church, a church for you to have a family to confide in and to have pray for you. <laughs> we can go all day about the significance of that. Or, or, or just, let's just move the prayer to the side. Fellowship. Just somebody that you can hang out with, you know? Amen. Somebody that you can go to and say, I'm having a rough day. Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you about some of the things that have been going on in my life? Family. God set it up. He set leaders. Leaders up. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I'm going to call the pastor. How many of you have called the pastor before? Amen. Hey, pastor, I need your help. Can you give me some advice? Leadership. So, but if but if if everybody does what they want, though, and we don't actually understand that there is something set up for leadership and for prosperity spiritually, if you don't understand, if you just kind of cast it aside and kind of do it yourself, where do you think that's going to end up? It's not going to end very well. And and I would much rather succeed in submission than than crash on my own, thinking I already know all the answers. So, all right, let's read. Are we? No, we're not shifted over yet. Not quite yet. Okay, hold on. Let me finish this paragraph out. Although the books of Ezra and Nehemiah appear in the first half of the Old Testament, they record some of the latest events found in these 39 books of Scripture. This is because the Old Testament is not chronological, but is grouped according to the genre or category with history following law. As you study, keep in focus that much sadness lay in the history of God's people at this point. Both the northern and the southern kingdoms had long since fallen. The tragic warnings of so many prophets had come to pass. Yet with the return from Babylon exile, Hope had been renewed for those in Judah. Now, however, just as God's promises seem to be progressing, more struggles had come. Okay, let's read our scriptures. Let's get into today's lesson. John, can you do that, brother? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Ezra 1 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, Asaph uh, with symbols to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And the elders of the Jews builded, and they pro prospered. prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and uh, Zechariah, the son of Ido. And they, they builded and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Xerxes, Artaxerxes, 
king of Persia, and the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the children of the captivity, kept the declaration of this house for our dedication. De- kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. Nehemiah one three, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the providence are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for his good work. So the walls was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month of Elul uh, in fifty and two days. And it came to pass that when all of our enemies heard of thereof and all the heart heart heathen heathen sorry that were about us saw these things there were much cast down in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God Malachi 3.10 bring ye all these all the tithes into the storehouse that they may be meet in mine house and prove me now here with saith the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not very good thank you Part 1, the temple rebuilt. As we study Ezra, it's helpful to understand the timeline of events. The first wave of exiles from Judah were taken to Babylon in approximately 605 B.C. The destruction of Jerusalem and a final wave of exiles came in 586 B.C. In 538 B.C., the new Persian king Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to their land and rebuild their temple. Now, that's really interesting. If you've ever done any homework on on King Cyrus, um, and it says something right here, it says the reason behind the policy of Cyrus is that the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. So, so uh, Cyrus was uh, a defender, really. I mean, if, if you want to put it this way, he was a defender of old ways. And, and he, he said that God had moved on his heart. Um, you, you would not, definitely not title him as a godly man, but he was for the things that were right. He was for good things. A dominant theme in Jeremiah is that God sovereignly controls all the nations... And it was clear in Isaiah's time, two centuries prior to Cyrus, that God would be in control of these events. God can execute his plan by any means he desires. Even in our current chaotic world, he is always in control. Amen. So let's talk about control for just a minute here and talking about the way that, that, that events go. Because, I mean, I mean, I would say that I hear often that this world is out of control. Our nation is out of control. It's out of control. It's completely out of control. I would agree with you. Amen. I mean, it's you know, as far as the as far as event, as far as what I see, yeah, it, it doesn't look like it did in the, the 80s. No, I mean, it's it's totally different now. I mean, it's in it's 
there, there's so much has changed and people's attitudes have changed and there's a lot has changed. But when we look through history and we, we look at the, the events, especially biblically, when you look at them, I call it from a bird's eye view. It's easy to look and read God's stories and then look at them from above and to see the whole thing and how it all mapped out. You're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense now. Oh, I see what he was doing. And a lot of times you understand a story before the actual story gets finished because you know what happened at the end of the story. And so we have a tendency to kind of run through them stories. Many times we don't even put a lot of emphasis on them because we're like, oh, okay, I already know. I already know what happened to Jonah. I already know. I get all that stuff. But can you imagine actually being there at that time? I mean, use, use Jonah as an example. I mean, can you imagine being in the belly of a whale? When is this thing going to end? When am I going to get out of this thing? Yeah, it makes a great story when it comes out. But it's when you're in it and the story's being made. And so if you get what I'm saying, the story's being made right now in our nation. The story's being made. It's unfolding. You say, well, I don't really like it too much. Well, I don't either. But God is still in control. Amen. He's still in control. And, and, if, and, if, um, and if you know God, like I know God, he'll prove himself. He always does. And he always makes sure that you know, hey, I'm in control. I'm running this thing, not you. It's only me. And so seeing, seeing everything that's going on today, and it kind of, you know, I guess in a, in a way it kind of takes my breath away at times. And, and how many of you would say that you never thought you'd see it this bad? I never thought I'd see it like, like it is right now. You look in God's word, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but you look in God's word, and, and I start, I'm seeing things that God says had to come to pass in order for the end to come. Had to come to pass. They have to happen in order for the end to come. Now, that's, isn't that the ultimately desired result, though? Yeah. You want the end to come. Well, in order to get to that thing, there's also this area in there, and I guess you could say a bridge, that has to be crossed. It has to be crossed. And it's unpredictable. And it, and at times seems chaotic. But we still can trust him. Back to trust. We still can trust him because he's in control. Sean, did you have a comment? Oh, it was just something Go ahead. called Jonah. Because I'm mean, oh, sure yeah. the storm came and he's like, eh, it was me. And they found out, threw him over, got ate by the, the fish and like automatically knew he wasn't dead. It's like, you're not done with me yet. It's like, ugh. So he knew he was getting out, I'm sure, because he wasn't dead. And he had a job to do and God was going to make sure he was going to go do it. Yeah. And, and it's what I like about that story, too, is, you know, when you look at uh, Jonah's attitude, it yeah. was always soured and extreme. It was like, just kill me and get it over with. He's like, like a, eh. Like a teenager. I don't think so. <laughs> but, you know, he uh, was in the belly of that whale, and there was no human way out. No. That's good. That's a good point. And we've all been in places, I guess, I have. Oh, yeah. A lot of times where there was no human way out yep. of, the, of the place I was in, or the circumstances I was in. Mm -hmm. And I had to call upon God because he was the only way. Yep. And uh, you had to understand that when he was in there, he had to know there was no other way. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell it in his prayer. You can see it in his prayer. He's like, hey, this is it. I'm in, I think he likened it to Sheol, which was hell. He's like, this is where I'm at. I'm in a bad place, and, and you're the only one that can get me out of this. It's a good point. All right, continuing on. 
Zerubbabel was a governor of Judah when the rebuilding of the temple began in earnest and its foundation was laid. There were mixed emotions when the foundations were completed. While many sang of the Lord's goodness and mercy, some wept because it lacked the splendor of Solomon's temple. Okay, yeah, and I, I kind of get that, but the, let's, let's go back to how you even got there to begin with. He said, well, it's not like it used to be. You're right, it's not. It don't look as, it doesn't have the same gleam and glory that it used to. You're right, because you detoured. And does, did God bring it all back? Absolutely, but it looks different now. It doesn't look the same. Did he bring it back? Yes. The restoration is the most important part. It's the restoration. But isn't it, it doesn't this sound true for, for many Christians? We want it to look the same. I want it to look exactly like it did before. It's like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. You don't get, you, when I bring restoration, I will restore you, but it's going to look differently. It's going to look differently. It's not going to, it's not going to have the same look to it anymore. I still gave it to you. I still restored you. It's me that did it. But you're going to have to understand that some things change. I've said this many times about the way that we recover when we have walked away from God. Do not expect it to be exactly like it was before. I struggle at times with the same thing. I think that my prayer life should be like it used to be. My reading should be like it used to be. Well, it, it can't because we've changed. It's not the same anymore. There were some times that I had... Precious times, precious times that I spent with the Lord. And I had just like this little bitty gap of time in the morning. You wake up at 4.30, you know, there's not a lot of time. You got to get going. And I knew on the clock, I said, I've just got a little time. And I would get with the Lord and I was like, okay. And that 25 minutes, maybe 20, was some of the most precious moments that I remember spending with him. They were just vibrant and beautiful and I always would tell him, I say, I just need some more time. I need some more time so we can spend more time together. Now, that was a very fervent, fervent thing. Well, years went on. And guess what? I got the time. But the question is, is did I do the same thing with it? Times have changed. Times have changed. Did it look exactly like it used to? No, it didn't look anything like it used to. Sometimes I wish I could go back to my little 20-minute prayer time. <laughs> But that's not who, I'm not in that spot no more. And the factors in my life have changed, which leads us to a different response for prayer and for praise and for reading. It's going to look a little different now. I'm telling you that because I think we're, we're so uh, much creatures of habit that we are saying that we want it like it used to be, but what we're actually saying is, I want to get back in the same habits that I had before. Because it was a habit that got you into that. It was a good habit. But see, now we have to develop new good habits. And you have to be constantly willing to change. Because God is a God of change. Amen. God is. Some people say, well, God never changes. You're right. But he demands that we do. Yeah. God is all about season change. You ever read that? <laughs> He's all about seasons changing. And it's one of those things in life where you're... You're, you're thinking, oh, I want it like it used to be. And God said, but it ain't spring no more. It's fall. It's, that time's gone. Now it's time to do something different, to do something new. If you were to, I don't know, maybe you could take a, a poll. And I don't care what people say. The majority of people, 
would rather it never be t tampered with and nothing would ever change. I like it just the way it is. <laughs> Most of the time, that's what we do. Amen. And, and it isn't, I mean, when God comes along and he goes, oh yeah, by the way, your season's over there. Time to move. Isn't, aren't we the first ones, the ones that have been talking all this stuff about how we're, gonna, we're ready for God to change, we're ready to move with God, and then God moves, and we're like, I'm not ready to move. <laughs> I, I'm not ready. And then we're heartbroken, and we cry, and we're like, <laughs> and it's, it's funny, because really at the core, that's who we are. We didn't want to change. I mean, that's, that is some real stuff, because that's, God is, is always changing the season in our life. He's always moving things. We got to be willing and ready to move. Yeah, we feel safe. Oh, that's that a good, yeah, good point. Safe yeah. there, and there's a fear of stepping out into something new, whatever, whatever yeah. that may be. And it could be something as minute as getting a new job to find a new house, or or he's asked you to start preaching, or whatever it is, Lord. Yeah. Whatever season you're in, it, there's a fear to it and an unknown, and you just got to yeah. put your faith in whatever that is and step out of the boat. Yeah, yeah. you got to get out. Yeah. That's good. Good point. Time, time keeps on ticking. It's not, it's not slowing down for us. No. Nope. And and God, God does slow down for us, but He's moving on too. Yep. So you're gonna have to grab a hold. Yep. And keep, keep on paddling. Yeah. Grab a hold. Where are you going with this? You, you, you can't. I mean, if you stay when it's really good. It's not really good anymore. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. You know, it's, it. It, it is like, and you've already said that it's changed. Not only has it changed, we have too. Yeah, we have too. That's the biggest thing. I'm, I'm not 20 no more. Right. I'm not 30 no more. Right. I'm not 40 no more. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not 50 either. You know? Yep. Goodness. And that's can't a good, do, can't good do the same things you did then, mm -mm. whether you were with God or without God. Yeah, and those, and those that that discipline that we've got that God puts in our life, you know, for the basics of prayer and things like that, the way that looks in our lives, it changes. And, and and keep this in mind, it doesn't change to the point where we're like, okay, I can slack off. No, there's another opening somewhere, but you're gonna have to find it. You're gonna have to find that spot and where that's at and where it's good for you, where you're you're growing spiritually. Uh, there, there used to be times when it was good for me at, to pray at night. Then the seasons changed, and it was better in the morning. Then it was better at night again. Then it was back to morning again. That season would shift constantly. Well, I mean, when I was, you know, when I was, you know, in my 20s and my kids were super young, you know, things were different. But they've gotten older. Haven's fixing to be 17 in like a week and a half. That blows my mind. My life is different now. I do different things. It's not the same. Y'all remember, some of you remember when I brought Haven in. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm not gonna, don't get me on that, I'll start crying. <laughs> okay, before long, enemies of Judah and Benjamin asked to assist on the claim they sought the same God. I wish I had time to get into that one because that's a really a good one. Zerubbabel refused, so they began to discourage the people and the work was hindered throughout the reign of Cyrus. I don't have time to get into that, but here is this, this opportunity, the, the, they were, you could call them opportunists. They were like, we want to help you because we serve the same God as you. <laughs> Wasn't the case. And he was like, no, you know, we, we, we can't have any outsiders in this. This is what God has commissioned us to do. And I think that's really important. A great lesson to learn is that they kept it centered. 
that kept it centered. And I could go on all day about what God shows you and your vision and, and why other people don't get it. Why it doesn't make sense to other people. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. But often Christians try to bring affirmation in from other places other than the people that actually know God. And even then, there is disbelief. So there, there, you have to stay centered with the people that God has put around you already and listen to those voices, and this is exactly what he was doing. Uh, when Artaxerxes was king, a letter of accusation was sent claiming that the returnees were rebuilding the walls. The king halted all building activities. Later, under King Darius, the returnees were allowed to complete the temple and with full financial support. The temple was completed in the sixth year of Darius, 515 B.C., fulfilling Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 years of captivity. God's word was unfolding just as he had declared. If you notice, though, that the, the 70 years in the captivity was based on the temple. You get that? I mean, there, there wasn't even a rural restoration considered until the temple was rebuilt. Now, I think that's important. He's like, okay, now that the temple's been uh, uh, rebuilt, now you're free because of how, how important the temple was to them and what it, what it meant. And so one thing to take from this too, guys, is, is, is to consider the, the distraction. So we had um, a call, you know, a release from captivity and they're back in and they're gonna rebuild the temple. Well, then what happens? All of a sudden their plans get stumped. They're actually held up for years on being able to get where God had wanted them to be. Now think about that. Doesn't that happen? I mean, that happens now. I mean, in, in, our, in our daily walk, it's like God, you know, we always have this idea, once again, you know, this bright light and dissension of a plan out of heaven. Sometimes I think it, we think it's supposed to look like a movie. We've watched too many movies. I'll get to the movie thing later. You'll, 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 you'll know what I'm talking about when I get there. Um, we think, you know, this, this thing comes down and it's given to us, and everything works out good when you're in God's plan. When you're in God's plan, everything just works out. Actually, no. I would say that things probably go more wrong. And you probably think that that, that, that makes sense. Say, say the word of God a little bit. And you get in there and you look at all the times that God would, would talk to his, his children and say, all right, go forth. Go, go on. Go, go out there and go grab that thing. And then they get out there and, and they're thinking, you know, remember the... Uh, released from the, the Egyptians and they get out of Egypt and they're like we're going to starve out here we're all going to die you brought us out here to die didn't you that's the same attitude that we have it's the same we, we have the same kind of persona about the way that, that we carry ourselves often is that when we get out there and we step out and we're like okay where's the good stuff okay this is hard nobody told me there was a desert out here I heard land of milk and honey is what I heard are we not like that? Amen. So, and for, for some of you that God has dealt with individually, and, and, and you can tell me, you tell me amen if you want or not, and God comes and knocks on your door and, and he wakes you up, maybe in the middle of the night, maybe he, he calls you in prayer, you're in prayer and you get direction, and you're like, I know what I need to do. Anyone, has that ever happened to anybody? I got direction, I know what I need to do. And so we automatically begin to have preconceived ideas about how great this thing is going to go. I mean, minds are going to be blown. People are going to be falling down in the spirit of the Lord. It's just going to be this awesome, glamorous thing. And then when you actually get there, you're thinking, nobody told me how hard this was going to be. 
Nobody actually, there's no glamour at all. <laughs> and I, you know what? That's what I love about God too, is because there is no there is no quote unquote glory because all the glory goes to Him. Amen. You ain't gonna get none of it. It wasn't meant for you. It was meant for Him. So the glory is in the execution of the plan and actually doing what you've been told. And then when the results come, we weigh success on what it looks like to us. But maybe the success come when we just was obedient. Maybe in heaven everybody's celebrating. But we're down here crying because it didn't work out like we thought. That's so us. It really is. Um, okay. Um, I'm, at, I'm on part two. Let's go to part two. We're running out of time. Nehemiah, a man of prayer, returned to Jerusalem and became governor of Judah in approximately 444 B.C., several decades after the time of Zerubbabel and roughly during the time of Ezra. Three days after his return, he and a few men quietly assessed the walls during the night. Then Nehemiah approached the leaders. He was personally concerned about the situation, referring to the trouble that we are in. He pointed out that he had favor of both king and God himself and advised that they begin rebuilding. Sturdy walls spoke to the security and stability of a city and absolutely did. I mean, you'd have to understand culturally what that meant. There had to be walls for protection. There had to be. You didn't have an effective, number one, a protected city, number two, an effective military that used the walls as a strategy. So to take down the wall, took down everything. Took down your offense and took down your defense. You didn't have anything. And so God has commissioned him to come and to rebuild these walls. They got to get these walls back up. It was disgraceful that the great city of God's people would be in ruins. Some opposed Nehemiah's God-given plan to mock the efforts, accusing them of rebelling against the king. In calm confidence, Nehemiah declared that God would cause them to succeed. In chapter 3, Nehemiah gave specific responsibilities to various families which made the people personally involved in the project, motivating them to finish the job. When everybody is doing their part, things get done. Amen. But it's, it's, it comes from leadership that delegates that down. I mean, if you've been in the workplace any amount of time, then you know how important it is. You know, it's always funny when you're on the, when you're a, when you're a commoner, when you're a common worker, you're like, you know, you always look at the leadership and everything they say is being ridiculous. And then when you actually get promoted and have to take the job, and then you realize, oh, that's what that's for. And it looks completely different. So the rule of thumb never changes. There has to be orders given from the top down, and, and there has to be people that are willing to execute those plans. If you have a bunch of rebellious people that refuse to execute plan, then it's going to be very difficult to actually see things go forward. So let's apply that. Let's just apply that to just basic church function. And let's not even look at it, let's not even look at it like me to you. Let's look at it like this. Christ is the head. He can speak for himself. God deals with you in prayer. He goes, hey, I want you and I want you and I want you, three, four people in the congregation. I'm calling you to preach and I'm calling you to teach and I'm calling you to do this and I'm calling you to do that. And if nobody responds to the call, then we've got gaps. We've got gaps. Somebody's not fulfilling their spot. Somebody's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Therefore, things don't move forward. Things can't get going forward when people are disobedient. So you think this is, you know, people think, you know, they think it's all, you know, Tanner told me or pastor said this, and I just don't think that's right for me. Well, you know what? Maybe it's not always about what's right for you. 
Maybe it's about what's right for the group. Maybe it's about what works. One of the things that my dad taught me when I was young, and I've I've ribbed my boys with this, and they get so upset with me about this. They're like, but dad, it's just not my thing. And this is something my dad always told me. He said, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. What matters is that it gets done. And that's the way I always looked at my role is, is that I'm supposed to go in happy, sad, angry, frustrated, and I'm supposed to go in and I got a job to do. Let's go get the job done. Believe me, that, my dad wasn't the kind of person that you told him how you felt. <laughs> well, I just don't feel like that's really my thing. Now that you didn't say that. You went and did the job. And so oftentimes we get caught in the cycle, even in the church, even in church settings, where we want to we feel good about it. And the first time we don't feel good about it, the first time that it doesn't fit our agenda, we're done. I'm done. I'm done. I don't mess with it no more. I'm not razzing nobody. I'm just simply saying. And what happens is, is that if everybody has that perception, if everybody kind of has that, that attitude is, is that I'm mad at Sean for something he said to me in my class or whatever it was, I'm mad at Sean now. I ain't teaching no more. But who's taking, who's taking the heat? The group. Group's taking the heat. And so, if everybody's angry, if everybody's mad, and everybody's looking at their feelings, and their feelings are what matters, and that's the only thing that matters, then at the end, can we have success as a church? No. Sometimes, sometimes carrying your cross, sometimes carrying your cross means you might have to do some things you really don't want to do. It might mean that. Like, do you not notice a theme today with, and, and I'm not, I'm not knocking, you got kids and stuff, I'm not knocking your kids, I'm saying that I think that with young people today, young people always want to see how they, yeah, okay, I think this is good for me, and the moment they don't feel it's good for them, they want to quit. Yeah. I don't mess with it no more. I'm done, all the excitement's over. I'm finished with it. And, and do we not get upset about that? Why? Because you tell them, you say, you can't do that in real life. You can't do that in real life. But man, don't we do that sometimes? Yeah. We're just like, it just doesn't fit my, it doesn't fit me anymore. I think sometimes that, you know, when we, when we actually carry the cross and you actually carry the, the responsibility, hear me when I say that, the responsibility of the cross, it will require you to do some things you don't want to do. Amen. It'll require you to have to get in some spots that pull you out of your comfort zone. Can anyone say amen to that? Amen. It's going to require you to have to get uncomfortable. And, and, and if, if I was going to further argue the point, I'd say it's probably better that you and I stay uncomfortable most of the time. Amen. Because the moment that you get comfortable and the moment that you like your spot, then I think that we lose out. We need to be uncomfortable. I think sometimes we need to have the seat kicked out from under us from time to time. I think it's good for us. Okay. I've got just a little bit more time. Um, where's that? I lost my spot. He pointed out that he had favor. Okay, yeah. Sturdy walls. Let's move down to God works, work intimidates the enemy. Through God's help, Nehemiah's strategy was successful. It took only 52 days to complete the project. This speaks of Nehemiah's qualities of leadership as a man of God. He was confident of the project's success and called others to participate in the work and share the vision. Everybody, come on. Let's everybody get in on this thing. It's going to be good. Nehemiah never sought personal gain. The people were confident of his godly motives. 
um, godly motives don't include self. Okay? Godly motives never include self. Uh, it never includes reward. It never includes affirmation. If you get it, great. But oftentimes, you won't. I mean, I've been, I've been teaching class is since I was 18. I'm 41 now. So I've spent quite a bit of time in church teaching and being up in front of people. And, and I know kind of the flow of, and how that goes. And I learned a long time ago, if you're waiting on people to pat you on the back, you are doing it for the wrong reasons. And the moment you stop getting pats on the back, if you decide you're ready to quit, then you weren't doing it for the right reason anyway, or you've somehow fallen into a spot where you're not seeing it correctly. Because we're not doing this, any of it, for someone to come up and tell us how good we're doing. And, if, and, and you actually got to come to the point that if nobody ever says, thank you, good job, ever again in my entire life, I'm still okay with it, and I'm going to stay doing what I'm doing. Amen. I mean, you literally got to come to that point. Because it's not for you anyway, it's for him. Those who sought to foil Nehemiah's plans were disheartened. The expression in the original Hebrew states, they fell much in their own eyes. They knew the success of this project could come from God. The enemy of our souls tries to cause us to fear opposition and doubt God's voice and empowerment. Yes, he does. Spiritual leaders who are confident in God and seek him for direction can have hope for success. Well, I'm out of time. So this is what I want to do as we shut down is I want to define one word for you, and that's the word of success. So it says right there, it says, the enemy of our souls tries to cause us to fear opposition and doubt God's voice uh-huh. and empowerment. Spiritual leaders who are confident in God and seek him for direction can have hope for success. So you got, remember we talked about the voices around you, right? The people that are around you, the people that God's putting your way and you're listening, you're hearing what they say, and then you're saying, well, you know what? I really don't like what you have to say. Think about it. God's put him there for a reason. He's put him there as a warning. God doesn't always come to you with this, with this dynamic revelation that says you don't need to do this or you need to go do this. We would like for it to happen that way, but that ain't the way it always goes down. And so I'll leave you with this. The final, the final word is success. How do you define success? Because often, how you define success will be the way that you view God. Mm-hmm. What do you define as being a successful um, relationship with God? What do you, what do you uh, dub as being successful in, as God operates in your life? Do you always view opposition as being something that's gone horribly wrong? Do we always see success as being something we can see with our eyes that materializes itself in front of us? Or can we accept that our success very well may never be seen. It may never be talked about. No one may ever bring it up. Are we okay with that kind of success? Are we okay with that? I'm leaving you with that. I'm out of time. God bless you guys. Thanks.